Before we start the show today, I'm going to start the show off with three deep breaths. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go ahead and take your three breaths now. And on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Naturopathic Times. I am your host, Katerina Meister. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie Yakupidia. Today, we are recording virtually in San Diego, and our guest today is a licensed naturopathic doctor. Her main areas of focus include physical medicine, craniosacral and visceral manipulation, as well as treatments for pain, mental health, and gut health. Please welcome our guest, Dr. Amanda Rodriguez. Hi guys. Thanks for joining Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for coming today. Of course. How have you been over the last few months? <laughs> With the whole like pandemic and stuff. Uh, you know, I've been pretty good. My, I started a new job at Orion Wellness and I was seeing patients there and doing IV therapy. So I was really excited to kind of start establishing myself in the community and in a workplace and getting that mentorship in about like a month and a half in, we had to close down the office. And unfortunately, we weren't really able to open back up due to other stuff with business. And so Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of bittersweet. I didn't mind having more time off since I'm still a student of acupuncture and, you know, I'm a fresh doctor. So I I was going with the flow of things that I needed time off. But when I kind of realized that work wasn't opening back up, it kind of forced me to uh, find new avenues of helping the community. And so I came back to my personal business and my private practice. And I just started kind of working on the foundations of uh, the business and marketing. And so now I'm just growing, growing that business and it's going well, actually it's, I've been enjoying quarantine kind of just the time to take more time to myself, reestablish a new routine and kind of figuring out a new direction to go. So it's, it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely ebbs and flows with life and it was kind of almost needed in some ways. I feel like it was nice to kind of relax and just take a minute to read a book or Mm -hmm. do something that you normally Mm -hmm. don't get to do. I feel like the pandemic has forced us to do that, to like take time for ourselves, especially for people that are growing a business and practice. It's like the best time almost to focus Mm -hmm. on that. Yeah. Yeah. And after, yeah, and Stephanie and I are kind of going through that same kind of mental process thinking about after graduation, but, um, so you graduated a, two years ago now? Last year. Last yeah, year. one year ago. One year mm-hmm. ago. And how did you find naturopathic medicine? Well, I knew from a young age that I wanted to do something in the health, wellness, or medical field. I was an athlete my whole life. I was in competitive sports from a really 
young age. And then I eventually went on to get a scholarship for track and field to the University of California, Santa Barbara. And so uh, I, I thought I wanted to do something in athletic training or personal training. And I ended up going and doing a, a biology undergrad. And I think through, through the process of being an athlete, especially doing D1 athletics in college, it really forced me to focus on my health and my body and my strength and my, you know, my performance overall. And I, I truly just wanted to be the best and to give it my all while I could. And so that kind of meant, you know, outside of practice and training, it meant focusing on my diet, my hydration, my recovery and my sleep. And so learning how to better myself in all of these areas, I just realized how much that impacted my health. I had more energy, more clarity. I could focus on my studies more. I, my mood was just overall better. And I just, I felt so good that I knew that I wanted to share this with others and just continue on this path of wellness. So I ended up switching my degree to biopsychology because I kind of realized I was more interested in the mind and the mental state. And that kind of led me down a path of also learning about uh, Eastern traditional healing modalities and kind of just Eastern religion and philosophy and spirituality. And kind of all of that together, it eventually led me to taking a class in college and it was religion and healing and global perspective. And so I started learning all the different healing modalities around the world and all the different traditions and the philosophies of healing in all the different cultures. And I think that really opened my eyes to what health and healing really could be outside of just the conventional Western medical system. And I realized that there was a lot more to health and wellness than we've been taught. And eventually I found a naturopathic doctor. He um, actually came to the class and spoke about what he does and his philosophy. And it was pretty much just from there I was sold. I was like, this is exactly <laughs> what I wanna do. This is in line with all my values and mm -hmm. my beliefs and the world and the people need to know this and need to know this medicine and the value of this. So. I think from kind of a young age, like in college, I knew I wanted to do naturopathic medicine. And so it just felt, it's always felt very in line with who I am. And so it was just, it was a very smooth and gradual transition into like, yep, this is who I am and what I want to be doing. And I've found my niche. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's always that one person that can just finally lead you to the mm -hmm. right place. And That's really mm -hmm. unique too, that in college of all times where I feel like I feel like people in college during that age are a bit more lost but you were really you had a lot of insight yes. into the connection of mind body and spirit and healing yourself in that way that's really yeah. neat um yeah yeah uh, and coming from Santa Barbara too you know it tends to be a little bit more of a party school mm -hmm. um, but I think being an athlete really anchored me down in a lot of ways. But I've also, I had depression as a teenager growing up. And so entering college and kind of finding myself, it led me on my own kind of like 
spiritual path per se of just kind of like finding out like what, I don't know, what reality is, what is our perception to reality? Why do we feel and think these ways? And it eventually kind of led me um, kind of to Buddhist thought. And I started learning about like mindfulness and the power of the mind and the law of attraction and learning that you can heal yourself with your mind Mm -hmm. and you have the ability to choose happiness. And, you know, that's harder. It's easier said than done. But once you have that awareness, you can really hone that in and bring that into your everyday life. And it's life changing, you know? Yeah, exactly. So once I kind of found that out, then I kind of put all of my mental energy into reconstructing, reconstructing, I guess my view of reality in a way, but more of coming into my power of and power and alignment of, you know, where I want to be going, what do I want to manifest and call in for Mm -hmm. this life? And what is it that makes me happy and doing those things? And so I think, yeah, just having all that in college is unique, but I think all my background in just athletics and my life experience kind of just led me into this perfect little spot of healing all parts of myself and I just want to share it with the world because it's so important for people to come back into their body, come back into their mind and realize that the mind body connection is real and it's one. And there's just so much power in that. And I think that's where health and alignment come into place Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. This really, that whole thing really aligns with being a naturopathic doctor too that whole profession. We really wanted to get into craniosacral therapy and ask you about it because not not a ton of MDs actually practice it, but it's such a powerful modality that you can use. Can you talk a little bit about what craniosacral therapy is and how you found it? Sure. So I knew that I was interested in naturopathic medicine out of college. And at that point, I think I was also still observing all the different healing modalities out there, you know, Chinese medicine um, versus like more body work tailored treatments. And I worked at a holistic wellness spa with a couple of, you know, these different eclectic healers. And there was a, there was a craniosacral therapist there. And at the time I didn't really understand what it was, but I saw people coming to her for, you know, headaches, or pain relief or you know just maintenance really and I saw how much of a following she had and how this was helping a lot of people and so I was like hey that's interesting you know I want to learn more and still at that time I didn't really know what it was and then fast forward a year my first year into naturopathic medical school I came across a course a weekend course so I knew first year that I wanted I was like oh sign me up I'm in I'm interested and not a lot of first year students, I think, because at the time they were still even learning what it is. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of first year students um, started going down this, this route of body work. And then every single year, I just kind of kept coming back level one, level two, level three, level four, advanced cranio. And so I kind of just started integrating it into my practice like year one. Yeah, it sounds like you saw the benefits of it um, from that person that you shadowed. What did you see out of those patients that really drove you to want to pursue it in that course? 
most significant for me was I saw a few people going like asking her for treatments when they had like active headaches or they were actively like my neck is tense I can't turn it to one way I feel brain foggy there's just pressure in my head and she'd be like oh yeah come back you know 30 40 minutes later I'd see them and they'd just be like oh I feel so much better I'm so relaxed like my headache's gone I was like wow like what'd she do that seems really gentle like I you know I don't understand it but these people are amazed after the treatments right so essentially you just saw this practitioner place her hands lightly on the patient these patients had amazing results yeah yeah (laughs) pretty much and then I think I, I started shadowing it in clinic too. And I started seeing more of the, you know, the uh, other students practice and the doctors practicing. And then I started seeing more of the therapeutic benefit of it. And then after taking level one, it was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. everyone needs this. This is so important. Can you describe what's mm-hmm. happening like on a physiologic level? when people are getting it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, let me, I can kind of back up and kind of explain it a little bit more because that might kind of help people listening then understand the physiologic effects of it. So craniosacral, it was originally developed by an osteopath and it's a form of bodywork that uses gentle touch to assess and enhance the structure of the cranium, the underlying fascia, muscles, and just the overall functioning of the nervous system. And so it's kind of based off of the osteopathic beliefs that one, the body is a unit, everything is connected to everything else. Two, form and function are interrelated. And then three, the body is a self-correcting mechanism. So back back in the day when that was was um, being developed, it was called cranioosteopathy, but it was essentially the study of the cranium, the dura, the brain, and the spinal cord. And what Dr. Sutherland and some other doctors started to realize was that if form follows function, then the sutures in the skull must not be fused. And he thought that in order for the brain and the central nervous system to function properly, the bones of the skulls must move slightly. And so he studied this further, and with the help of Dr. Upledger, they discovered that there is an inherent motility of the bones in the skull, and the brain and the spinal cord and the sacrum, Hmm. as well as like fluctuation. Okay, so to break that down, just to break that down, so basically what you're saying is the bones in your skull or the bones in your head aren't actually static. They can move and shift, which is not what they originally thought that they were. They thought that they were static or non-movable bones, basically. And so this is still even being recognized because this information is just now kind of becoming more mainstream. But what I like to tell patients is that you have 22 cranium bones, okay? Eight bones just on your cranium and 14 facial bones. And so just like any other joint in the body, these bones move slightly. And so what 
can happen is restrictions form in the fascia or the muscles or due to trauma or really anything that you start getting a restriction of these movements. And so the cranium bones aren't able to move as smoothly and as inherently as they should. And so that can lead to a number of things down the line. But this, the movement of the bones are so important because so what happens is, you know, when we breathe, we're rhythmically breathing, our diaphragm moves and shifts. And so do, so do the bones in our cranium. So we're breathing and the bones are moving through flexion and extension. It creates a rhythmic pattern. And this rhythmic movement actually acts as a pump for the pressures in the fluid in our cranium and cerebral spinal fluid. So bones need to articulate to help pump this cerebral spinal fluid through our brain and down our spinal cord. And so what starts to happen with mm -hmm. any like insult or trauma with craniosacral is we, these bones get out of alignment, just like, a, just like your vertebrae would or your hips would, they get out of alignment. And so the movement is not as in sync. And so you start getting issues with, um, basically overall circulation of airflow, blood flow, lymph flow, cerebral spinal fluid. And so this can lead to, you know, a number of things. So when we talk about, you know, physiology, form and function, the integrity of the cranium has a profound influence on the delivery of oxygen, removal of waste, your sense of balance and your overall like parasympathetic nervous system response. So we really get into a lot of layers of the physiology with craniosacral more than kind of meets the eye with certain things. But then, so then the practitioner, we learn these movements and the rhythms of the bones. And each bone has their certain rhythms and how they should be moving in place. And the practitioner is able to assess this movement through the fascia and through a small electromagnetic current that is like close to the body, you can tap in, tune in to these rhythmic movements. And, and so the practitioner is assessing the movements and where they find areas of restriction. If a bone's not moving and something's out, we're then able to use light touch body work with our hands to help facilitate and correct the movement of the structures of the cranium to help the body unwind and to just go back into place essentially just to stop you right there um can you kind of explain what fascia is because i know that we know what that is but so we have the skin layer and then we have fascia muscle fascia so can you kind of explain what this is yeah fascia is a really thin web-like structure that over like that wraps around pretty much every structure in our body and it's in between all of our muscles skins bones and it really holds everything into place so it's this kind of web-like structure that is interlaced between like every muscle fiber and it overlaps and surrounds the muscles, protects the muscles. It overlaps and surrounds all the organs, tissues. 
and then it comes and it's underneath the skin and it's it's basically between every single layer of skin bone muscle organ so it's basically the glue the yes. glue of the body yeah, that holds it together um sometimes 3d images are kind of better to see but if you but essentially the fascia is holding everything into place so your bones and your muscles are really being held together by this fascia so the bones and the muscles are kind of just essentially like floating in this fascia and it's really the fascia that is kind of dictating the overall movements of our muscles and bones on a kind of a, a micro scale so you don't really notice that too often unless you have like scar tissue or there's a uh, an immediate trauma where you can see all the tissue kind of bundling up but what's interesting about that is so it's holding the bones and the muscles into place in this web-like structure and adhesions can happen so the tissues can bind together and then you get kind of like scar tissue or stuck stiff muscles as well and that need to kind of be worked through but some what happens is sometimes where the injury is that's or where the pain is that's not exactly where the structural issue is so i analogy i liked is like if you imagine like a tablecloth on on a table and if you were to pinch one side of the tablecloth and to kind of like spin it that would almost be like the fascia so if you were to like kind of bundle up the 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 tablecloth you would see that there would be tension on the other side of the table so you're pulling the bundle here and you get this tension here so that same thing with our body when we get bundles of fascia being pulled in the wrong direction you start to get pain and tension on another side of the structure mm-hmm. so with craniosacral and with fascia it allows us to work on the body as a whole by releasing fascia and releasing these tensions and adhesions in certain certain parts of the body it allows the whole structure to kind of unwind and unravel and sit where it should be mm-hmm. And the practitioner can feel the tension of this fascia. Yes, it takes practice. um, And you're mostly kind of, you're tuning in to the tension of the fascia. You're tuning in to the rhythmic motion. Um, But craniosacral really is, it's a whole system that's part of the network of this connected tissue, the fascia, that links the cranium, the spine, the pelvis, the muscles, and the organs together. So this fascia is really the link that connects everything together. So the fascia is connecting everything. And then you were saying how there's a rhythm in the body, just like a heartbeat. So there's, there's like a pulse throughout the body or a squeezing and a release, releasing motion that's happening. That's creating these very small movements of the bones and the fascia and the muscles. And then you were saying how each bone has its own movement. So is that just related to how the bone is attached to the body or where it's at in space or is it like outward well, there's, motion and there's a inward? few rhythms in our bodies so kind of how you said even just our heart rate like the circulatory rhythm that's its own rhythm then there's the respiratory rhythm that's its own rhythm then there's the craniosacral rhythm and that's kind of the most subtlest and slowest of them all and that's its own rhythm 
It's more like a heart. It's like the heart rate for the uh, fascia. Sure. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> it's the rhythm of your cerebral spinal fluid, and it's so then it's the crane the cranium is attached to the, that dura, that fascia is attached to the cranium underlying the dura that's attached to the brain, which is attached and surrounding all through the spinal column, through the vertebrae, and attaches all the way down to the sacrum. So there's a specific also network of the fascia that is within this cranial sacral system from the cranium down to the spine. And that's the rhythm that we're tapping into. So it's this, so it's this, this it's its own cranial rhythm of the rhythm between the nervous system of the brain down to the sacrum. So the sacrum is like your tailbone. So from your head to your tailbone, up and down. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so when you work on someone with CST, have you seen both a like a physiological release and have people experienced emotional releases from this? Yeah. The well, physiological releases, I kind of like to think of the body in like three ways. You have the structure, the anatomical structure of it. And, you know, that's mostly what we're working on. So I put my hands on, you know, someone's head, for instance, and I can assess the like temporal bones by the ears. Are they moving in a rhythmic direction? Um, a lot of the times the internal bone, your sphenoid, which is like the center bone of your cranium where all the other bones kind of attach to, sometimes that can be tilted or off. So what I do with my practice then is I'll go in and try to correct it and bring it back into place. And so you have one layer of dealing with the structure. And we kind of talked about form and function are interrelated. So as you're correcting the form of the structure, the nervous system is able to correct itself and have proper input and output. So when you correct the structure, like, like with chiropractic, if you are adjusting the spinal level, that's going to help the nerve root in and out, coming in and out of that spinal level, which could help with other physiological responses, depending on the nerve coming out of that area. So when we're correcting the structure of the cranium, you're then allowing correct input and output of the nervous system. So there's one layer of you're correcting the form and the structure. And then by correcting the, the structure, you're then correcting function. So then you're correcting the physiologic function. And so with people, uh, let's say, with, you know, we'll keep going back to like headaches. You know, maybe their headache is due to the fact that they're getting poor circulation in and out uh, through their brain. They're, ha they're not able to fully remove the waste toxins from the brain properly. And so when I can correct the cranium and the structure, the structure you get this free flowing of energy, of oxygenation, and it just, it then affects the physio physiology and the nervous system. Right. Cause it's sense. kind of like a, it's like a river. So if yeah. the river is ever blocked, there's less flow, less waste coming out. And then you're kind of like opening the floodgates and kind of letting it flow. Yes. Yeah. But then there are, 
there is an emotional body and emotional component to it as well. So I, I like to think of the body as like form, structure, physiology, and then this emotional, mental, spiritual aspect of ourselves. And that can be broken down too. But if we just kind of divide these into the three, you know, main areas, um, emotions can get involved as well in the emotional body. And this can be seen either through, let's say we're storing emotions in our body or we've gone through a trauma, something we haven't processed, the body always keeps the score, the body remembers. So mm -hmm. even if you think you've been, you've been processing these things, sometimes by unraveling the fascia and unraveling and getting this free flow of energy to come back, sometimes that can mean you're unblocking things. And so that allows for whatever trapped energy or emotion to then be kind of released and so people can have somatic releases and experiences some people might you know cry or they might laugh um it really just kind of depends on the person and what they're processing in that moment and then there is a layer of craniosacral where you can do more somatic emotional type of work even too that's like the next layer into it it's like craniosacral level three somatic emotional release um, so that's a whole other aspect of craniosacral. So a person could come to you wanting purely just muscle release or tension release, um, or they could come to you having a mental emotional symptom such as depression, anxiety, and then that could help. The craniosacral could help that be released yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. There are kind of two aspects of that. One, that somatic emotional release. So releasing blocked energy within the body. You're allowing the meridians and, you know, your overall chi to move freely. And then you're also, and then the kind of going back to the physiological aspect of a treatment, when a person's on a table and being able to receive a treatment, they're able to like deeply, deeply relax. And you start to see a shift in the nervous system. They start entering a parasympathetic nervous state. And this can be important for so many reasons just in itself of just getting someone to sit down and enter into this parasympathetic state. Like that can be healing just in itself. But by activating the parasympathetic nervous system, you're decreasing blood pressure, decreasing heart rate, you're increasing digestive movements, improving circulation. There, there's so much happening, uh, you know, under the hood of that too. So that can be therapeutic in its own regards. It's just a healing environment because you're finally able to kind of release all of that energy that you may be experiencing and then also entering that parasympathetic rest and digest state. So you're really trying to calm mm -hmm. the nervous system down and normally we're running in like a fight or flight state or sympathetic state in our day to day. It's great to be able to see practitioners just to be able to lay on the table even if that's all you mm -hmm. do. And that's also kind of where the magic of this modality is too, when someone's able to kind of fully relax and receive, you know, some people can even kind of fall asleep, but for the most part, you enter into this kind of like theta brainwave state. And so you can kind of, you're able to almost like tap into a part of your subconscious when you're on this table and receiving the healing like this. And 
some people are able to start identifying blocks and they'll have memories come in or mm-hmm. insights kind of come to them because they're in this kind of healing state within themselves. And so this dialogue just represents like the most powerful and deep healing that can take place when you're kind of able to let your mind and body integrate as one in this like meditative state as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I was going to say most people or I guess it's just very difficult to tap into a state of like rest and digest in the parasympathetic mode because you can go throughout the entire day. I mean, like you're stressed, you go to work, you come back from work, you have things to do. And even like sitting Mm -hmm. down and watching TV can still put you in a fight or flight response Mm -hmm. depending on what you're watching. Yeah, going Um, on social media. Yeah, totally. So how many sessions would someone need to have these releases? Yeah, that could depend on the person, what they're coming in for, how advanced or how chronic their condition is and you know maybe how out of alignment their physical body is too generally I do feel like you get more out of cranial when you're doing more treatments on a consistent basis same thing with kind of like acupuncture too you know you kind of want to have some of those like maintenance visits just to check in and it, it depends on what the person's coming in for too. So people will be coming in for um, like headaches or sinus issues or TMJ pain. So for the example of TMJ, you know, they might have had this for one year, couple years, 10 years. And depending on what's going on, it might take, I usually like to tell people, like six treatments would be like an ideal like if you could come for six on like a weekly basis we're gonna have the most success in making sure that this doesn't return so I can Mm -hmm. help put things back into place but depending on the person's lifestyle their diet what they're doing their activity levels um, and what was pulling the bones out of place in the first place depending on like the root cause of that you know I I think it takes a couple weekly sessions and my goal for patients is that it will maintain itself without the need of frequent visits but in the beginning that requires you know a couple of maintenance visits to help train the body and tell the bones that you know this is the proper alignment this is where you want to be but sometimes the body can resist that and it wants to go back to how it was depending and that then that also you know we have to look further than the cranial sacral system we have to look at the muscles the bones the organs you know all of this is involved too so i try to do a full body assessment and that includes you know the visceral manipulation and other things as well but my goal is that, that the body will maintain itself without the need for these frequent visits. But sometimes you have to mm-hmm. kind of train the body to tell it where to go. So that takes some time, especially if you've had yeah. it for years. It could take a couple sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you need a good foundation. And then once you can kind of train the body, just like with any other kind of training that you may do, 
you once you have the first initial sessions, your body is more able to go back to that state uh, in an easier way than it maybe was before. Or maybe you needed that session to unblock that, then st- stay where you are, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and everything is connected, too. So you do have to consider all the parts of a person in the body. So if I'm working with someone with TMJ pain, you know, I can do my best to help the muscles, help the fascia, realign the cranial bones. But if no one's looking at their sacrum and their hips, and if their hips stay out of alignment, everything's connected via the fascia. So if the fascia is twisted down below, it's going to correlate back up and you might see the hips, uh, the jaws go back out because the jaws and the hips are connected. So you have to look at the whole structure as well. And that's Something that I think with being a naturopathic doctor, we kind of take these treatments above and beyond just any other body worker per se, because we have this knowledge of treating the whole body and knowing that everything's connected. Right. And I like how you mentioned how the organs are also playing a role too. And I know that's a huge part of visceral manipulation. And I would I know that visceral manipulation is where you basically, similar to a chiropractic adjustment, but you're adjusting the organs or where they're at in space. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about what that is or how that's different from craniosacral? Sure. Um, I like to tell people that's pretty similar. I use pretty gentle um, touch when I'm doing visceral manipulation, but visceral just means like organ. So organ manipulation. And it's same similar concept to craniosacral where I'm going to put my hands, do an assessment, and I'm going to see how the organs move. So just like everything else in the body, there's free, there's free flow and there's movement happening. So I assess the movement of the organs. Are they rotating properly? Do they have, um, smooth range of motion or is there some sort of restriction there or is it not moving at all and so all the organs kind of have their own movements as well for example and a lot of the times either with trauma or diet there can be adhesions in our organs in our abdomens in the lymphatic system even of our abdomen as well And so making sure that all of these things are in place and moving affects the whole structure as well. So kind of the example of like back pain as well, you know, back pain could be all sorts of things. It could literally be the structure is out. So your hips are out, your L4 or 5 is out, you know, you need to fix the anatomical structure, but also even if you were to fix the structure, it could go out of place again because the issue is really in your intestines. And let's say, mm-hmm. for, for example, to ileocecal valve is really connected to low back pain and stuff. So if people's having low back pain and it's not getting better with physical therapy or chiropractics, then I know to look deeper and that means fascia and organ systems too. And innervations and vascular, like that all plays a role too could be just lymphatics so then 
I will go and I'll assess the ileocecal valve and assess other movements of the organs. And sometimes maybe it was the ileocecal valve, it was closed and maybe that just needed some love and that was really the reason for someone's low back pain. Another example I like to use is the liver and the diaphragm too. So when you're breathing, like we all know the diaphragm moves, but what a lot of people don't consider is that the liver sits right under the diaphragm and has so many ligament and fascial connections to the diaphragm. So if let's say something's stuck with your liver or your diaphragm, and if, you're, if your liver is restricted, then you don't get proper movement of your diaphragm. And so you don't get proper respiratory mechanics. Right. So you can't breathe as fully as you normally would or. Yeah. Which leads, can lead to, you know, some other things. So all of these things are connected. And so what's cool about visceral too, is I can, you know, place my hands on the body and do an assessment and kind of really tune in to the person's energy and ask the body, like, what is the most important thing for me to know? And what really is the root cause of this person's issue? And so it can be fascinating. Some person can come in with knee pain, but I'm being drawn to their stomach. And really it's the stomach not being able to move correctly, not, uh, not having that movement that can translate down to the knee. That's really interesting. So sometimes fixing the stomach and doing visceral work will help other structures find the alignment as mm-hmm. well. So you'll find that like musculoskeletal pain or something like an injured knee could translate to pain in organ within the body. It's really yep. yeah. And you might not feel the pain in your abdomen either. It just might be there. For instance, someone might have had an uh, appendicitis and got their appendix removed, and there might be scar tissue or you know, cesarean C-sections, these mothers have a lot of scar tissue on their lower abdomen that can mess up the fascia all around their abdomen and lead to back pain, some other stuff. So a lot of the times they don't know that there's something maybe misaligned within the abdomen, but it does show up. Or maybe they intuitively know and they just not, they aren't sure. Yeah, I feel like the best way I like to think about that, because if I didn't have medical knowledge and someone told me that my knee problem is actually due to my stomach, it wouldn't make any sense to me at all. Um, But I think if you think about it, like how you've been mentioning and how you've been nicely explaining is just your body's all connected. And if you could have a string or like the tablecloth analogy where one part is bunched up on one end and then the other side that's where the pain is that really helps me to understand okay i i get it now like the stomach is tight or something's going on there where it's blocked and then it's pulling on the knee or it's doing something with the knee which is causing pain Mm -hmm. um i know that you can also use visceral manipulation for GERD so gastric reflux um do you typically see that a lot or do you see that working really well? I know that many people use, um, you know, PPIs or different types of over-the-counter medications for um, heartburn. Mm-hmm. And I know that this could be a really great natural treatment. I just didn't know if you've seen that or treated that condition. Definitely. Yeah, I've seen that. That's pretty common. Um, 
not a lot of people look for visceral therapists, but the people that do look for me are people with hiatal hernias or mm. usually like SIBO or something with their ileocecal valve where let's say their mm. dietitian or nutrition nutritionalist knows that that needs to be inspected and checked out because if you know if the ileocecal valve but connects your small intestines to your large intestines if that's open constantly then you're getting the bacteria traveling up from your large intestines into your small intestines and that shouldn't be there so treatment would involve kind of addressing the ileocecal valve for people that have SIBO but for for GERD and hiatal hernias, I do see that. And if I know that they do have a hiatal hernia, I will usually address it. But again, the body is more intelligent than like than you and I. And so I can't, I can go in there and help treat it. But really you got to ask the body, what is the main thing? Why did this hiatal hernia go out? And then you ask the body, what's the most important thing for me to know? And you should always follow your intuitive guidance and what your assessment is, where it's telling you to go. Um, because that's what's really going to get rid of everything. That's at least what we've been taught by told by, you know, these intuitive doctors, the doctors that say, they're like, please don't follow where the person's telling you to go. And it's really hard to not treat a hiatal hernia when you know it's right there. So sometimes I will, but it does require to even taking a step back and asking the body, like, do you need this? Is this what it needs? Sometimes it might be something else. Maybe it's their psoas muscle or something. And like really unraveling the psoas muscle will help unravel the tissue and for the body to help heal itself. So it kind of goes back to that idea of the tablecloth and finding where that bunch yes. is, basically. Yeah, yeah. but I, I will go in there and try to give them some relief. And then, you know, that takes a few appointments, come back weekly, try to get it back into place. You know, things don't always just stick right away in that first treatment. Sometimes it does. People coming in with like sinus issues, I'll help open up the sinuses, get them draining, and they'll feel better. Um and that can be kind of like a, a once treatment. But if you really want to set the bones and set them right, you should come back for frequent mm -hmm. treatments. Um, so earlier you talked about the adhesions that can have liver and how that can cause a person to not be able to breathe as deeply as they normally mm -hmm. should. Can you talk a little bit more about the breath work that you do in your practice? Sure. Yeah. I call it entheogenic breath work. Um, I don't know if this is like the proper coined term for it, but that's what I've been calling it. There's other practices that are similar to it. Um, like an entheogen or entheogenic medicines. You hear this kind of with like plant medicines, like entheogenic plant medicines, but entheogenic means a chemical or substance that alters the body's, alters more say the consciousness so someone's consciousness so a chemical or substance that can alter our state of consciousness and for me this is breath work mm. this is the type of breath work that we do it's uh two breaths in one breath out so you are deeply oxygenating your body which can be pretty intense it's an intense 
form of breath work, but the idea is that you are naturally producing DMT in your lungs when you're doing this type of breath work and it's powerful. So you can have like profound out of body experiences or kind of that same like deep theta healing state where you can kind of um, have epiphanies or insights into yourself in a way, or maybe visions or what have you, every experience is different, but deeper than that, like what's going on on a physiological level. So we have, you're familiar with like the chakras and you're familiar with um, meridians and acupuncture. So the acupuncture channels follow what's called meridian lines, which are just lines of energy. And they have, you know, certain points have those vortexes of energy. So like acupuncture points as well. And these are all over our bodies and as well. And what can happen is energy can get blocked. It can get stuck. It can become excess or deficient. So kind of like if you're pinching that water hose, you know, you have all the energy in the water being backed up and nothing over here. And so acupuncture, you know, you go in and you do the points and you help relieve and that unblocks everything. Well, you can do that same thing with breath. So when you're deeply oxygenating your body like that, you're almost you're increasing your prana, right? So your vital life energy comes essentially from your breath, your prana, your chi. It's amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we've talked about vitality a little bit. So it's your vitality or yeah, your Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, naturopathic medicine, it's called the vis. And in Chinese medicine, it's called chi. And Ayurvedic medicine, it's called prana. So your prana, your chi, comes from your vital life energy. It just comes from your breath, right? Like it's one of the things that we can't live without, like more, even more so than water or food. Like if you don't have oxygen right away, like you die. So it's a very vital substance that brings life and energy into your body. So it's powerful. So what you can do with all these different breath works and especially this entheogenic breath work that I practice is you're oxygenating your body and you're increasing the energy potential in your body so that you're almost like coursing the energy through these meridians, through your chakras, just with your own breath. So the breath, again, mechanical force, rhythm, you're sending it through your body. So with the breath, we're able to kind of unblock um, blocked energies or stagnant energy, and you're able to kind of like course the energy through all your meridians. So it's very energizing and it's deeply nourishing on energetic bio... Uh, biochemical and like a physiological level wow that's pretty intense yeah so Mm -hmm. what is this is a session sort of like how someone would have a shaman and take ayahuasca like is it almost like (laughs) you know what I mean like is this a supervised thing yes definitely um and okay you know, it gets a little bit. I think I think I took one that you taught. I think you taught at Bastier this. Yes, I, I think you taught this, and I went to it, and it oh, was yeah. kind of just like we were all on like yoga mats, and then you were at the front of the room, just like instructing us on how to breathe. But like the whole room was like breathing together. It mm-hmm. was almost like that one movie um, where they're all like blue. What is that? Where they're like blue beings. <laughs> And what is that? I'm not sure. Oh my gosh. Where they have like yeah, the tails. Yeah. Avatar? Oh my gosh. Oh, Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like with their tails and they like connect it to like the mother's source. Yeah. And they're like just sitting there like oh this. Gosh. Like 
well, it becomes powerful when you do it all together. So everyone's moving mm-hmm. your own body and chi in the room. And then there's like a synchronicity of that happening too. So it is powerful when we come together. So I, I mostly teach in group sessions like that. And I offer it. I'm trying to do more events, hopefully in the San Diego region and coming soon. But I do offer one-on-one breathworks as well. And it, I really just tailor all my treatments and my body work towards what the patient is looking for. So if they're looking for more of like an energetic thing and breath work, then I'll hold space and uh, coach them through the breath work and I'll, you know, be there holding space for them, watching the energy and I'll help guide the energy and I'll do some sound healing and I'll bring like aromatherapy into it and Palo Santo and Sage. And so it does become like its own mini ceremony in a way. So, but there, but it's only breath. So it's all just, it's with no substances. This is a purely experience from the energy of your own body and your breath. That's like so Hmm. Uh, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. <laughs> so I just think this is so crazy. Like, oh, great. I, yeah. I never yeah. thought of, of breath as being like full substance where you can actually like induce certain thoughts or epiphanies or open channels in this way. So that's, that's crazy. Yes. There's all sorts of styles of breath work and it's all powerful for all sorts of things. And it's a good practice. You can just do this by yourself too, just like, uh, you know, a couple minutes, set a timer, just lay it down. And then afterwards you're kind of just on your own little like mini Shavasana. So how did you get taught this? Hmm. Well, I think there was, I mean, I, again, I was like in my first or second year. So really early on, there was a breathwork course being taught by the breath center. Um, Michael Brian Baker, he's the one who taught me and he facilitates these trainings. And so I did uh, level one breath work with him as well. And he teaches you all of this and then just practice over the years. And I've kind of learned that I love hands-on modalities, obviously with the craniosacral and the visceral and then the breath work. And for me, I'm a little bit different than other naturopathic doctors, even why I went back to learn Chinese medicine and acupuncture, because I recognize that we are energetic, vibrating beings, and we have an energetic body to us as well. And I felt like that was a little bit missing in our curriculum. Um, it's because it's not you know, mainstream conventional medicine, but there's an energetic and spiritual side of our body and health as well and so I feel like all these modalities really tap into that and so it kind of it allows for more powerful healing sessions because you're working on all the layers of the body you know not only physical biochemically emotionally and energetically and the energy is a huge part of it as well yeah I I love the way you described that and it's so interesting learning more about the emotional body and everything. Uh, We are curious on what is next for you. Well, I am continuing my education in Chinese medicine and acupuncture at the moment. So I am um, part-time still a student, always learning, probably always will be. And I'll probably be doing that for the next year and a half. And I'm have my own personal business right now, Alchemy 
art of healing and I'm starting to see patients through that and I'm growing that and hopefully I'm actually building like retreats in the near future so I want to try to host that and get the healing out to as many people as I can really but one step at a time I think the next step after graduation can be kind of bumpy as you're kind of figuring out like okay now I'm a doctor but now what you know what do I want to do what are the patient populations I want to see and so I'm kind of still um, I think I've kind of worked my way through what I want to be doing but I think this in the past year I've been trying to kind of sit with myself and figure out what my next best move is and I think I'm just about there and so I'm building my business and starting to market myself more and just really embodying the type of practice the doctor that I want to be and, and so yeah I'm just growing evolving just like all you guys yeah we'll continue to do so you're doing great work Thank you so much, Dr. Rodriguez, for joining us today and sharing your story. You can find Dr. Rodriguez online at www.alchemyartofhealing.com. And that is A-L-C-H-E-M-Y-A-R-T-O-F-Healing.com. Or on Instagram at Alchemy by Amanda, and that is A-L-C-H-E-M-Y-B-Y-A-M-A-N-D-A. And before we close the show, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, comment, rate, review, and most of all, share with someone you know. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank Bye. you for having me. This is amazing. Thank you, Amanda. Yes. Anytime.